0: everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. My name is Christian Keter, and I'm glad that you're here. I live in the southeast of the United States with my amazing, beautiful, and godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. And as the title of this podcast, I Just Want to Talk About the Bible, would imply everything we talk about here is on some level relevant to the scriptures, relevant to the Bible, the Word of God. And so every topic we're going to have is going to be connected to conversations about Jesus, conversations about the Word of God, and other such relevant topics. And normally, it falls under typically one of three categories. Uh, it doesn't mean that every episode is going to be you know neatly fit under one of these three categories, but most of them probably will. Uh, the first category is just what God has been showing me in my own life, I'm just sharing that with you guys, because I believe with all my heart that if he shows me something, and it has, you know, he that that same power that it came with in my own life, it'll also come in your life as well, because it's originating with something that the Lord has shown me. And so I believe that if it changed my heart, it'll also change yours. And so the first category is I'm just sharing um, what he has shown me. The second category is a and a It's just answering questions about the Bible. Um, and the third category is um, tools for Better reading and studying the Bible, and that category is typically a bit more academic, um, but it's uh, it's just helping equip us to better study the scriptures. So today, uh, what are we talking about today? Uh, well, you know, this episode—I'll go ahead and say at the outset—it is going to be very, very closely connected to episode twenty-one of this podcast, which was entitled "I Never Knew I Never Knew You," and so. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to episode 21, I highly encourage you to do so as well. Because both of these episodes are going to contribute important, uh, uh, important facets to this conversation that we're having today. And so if you skip episode 21, you're going to ignore or miss some really important stuff that's going to be brought to the table. And also I'll go ahead and say the next episode, episode number 25, is going to do that as well. It's going to bring some more important stuff to the table of this very same conversation. So what are we talking about? Well, after episode 21, I was talking to my wife, Lacey, about it, and um, and and she's very insightful and very wise, and one thing she suggested was, why don't you you know just do an episode just about the gospel, what the gospel is, especially in light of an episode like I Never Knew You, and I thought that was a really, really good idea, and in fact, it seems like something I probably should have even done before now. I mean, we're 24 episodes into this podcast, and... Uh, this is, this is the most foundational thing that we could discuss. And so today we're talking about the gospel. What is the gospel? Um, how is somebody born again? What does it mean to be born again? How to have a relationship with Jesus and, uh, everything relevant to that. When you hear somebody, you know, talk about being saved, we're going to talk about that a little bit. So, uh, having said that, let's just get right into this and start the conversation. Um, I'm going to do my best to communicate this in a uh just a easy to understand sort of way because when we're talking about the gospel we could get really 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 in depth. I mean, you could I you could start all the way back in Genesis 3:15, which is where you're going to see the first prophecy about the one who's going to come and crush the head of the snake and you could start there and trace the the theme of the gospel and the growing theme of uh, a messianic deliverer who's going to come and follow that all throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament to the person of Jesus. And you could, like, we could make this conversation hours and hours and hours. We really could. And so I'm trying to strike a balance here where this is relatively, um, I don't even know the right word I want to use here, just uh, rel- not. Not too in depth, but still in depth enough. Because on the one end of the spectrum, it could, like I said, we could spend hours and hours talking about it. On the other end of the spectrum, there are really, really short, quick gospel presentations that you'll hear people use when they're trying to explain um, the, the central message of what it is that Jesus came here to do. And uh, that is, those are helpful as well, but I'm just saying I'm trying to strike a, a middle ground here. And so, having said all that, what is gospel? Uh, what does it mean? Well, a good place to start would be, what is the word, like, what does the word gospel even, even mean? Like, that's not a word, uh, that we use. And if it is a word that we use, it's typically only used in either church context or perhaps as a genre of music, like gospel music. So let's see here. Um, let me pull up a verse really quickly. Uh, Romans one is a place where we see the word gospel used, um, I guess I could have pulled this up before this, but Hey, look, we're all experiencing this together in that great. So here we go. Gospel. The word gospel is a Greek word. Euangelion, uh, related to the word where we, where we get the word evangelize or evangelism. Um, euangelizo is the, the verb form and euangelion is, is the noun here. So, but the word gospel, the, the noun gospel, it means, um, simply put, and you've probably heard this before, good news. It means good news. Uh, it means good tidings. Um, it is uh, here. In fact, let me just read a couple of these um, definitions here, and I'm going to put the link to what I'm reading right now in the show notes of this episode. So uh, I'm using Blue Letter Bible right now, which is a great resource for looking up the definitions of words of the Greek Hebrew words. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read through these these definitions here um under euangelion so it says uh, a reward for good tidings good tidings uh and then here's a a lengthier one uh that's very eloquently written it says the glad tidings of the kingdom of god soon to be set up and subsequently also of jesus the messiah the founder of this kingdom after the death of christ the term comprises also the preaching of concerning jesus christ as having suffered death on the cross to procure eternal salvation for the men in the kingdom of god but as restored to life and exalted to the right hand of god in heaven thence to return in majesty to consummate the kingdom of god now that's really eloquently said and well written and you can always it always feels academic when you're reading something that uses the word thence I might just try to start incorporating that into normal day-to-day conversations, just to sound more academic. Um, but we're going to talk about all that that means, uh, and throughout the course of this episode, because that's a little bit of a complicated definition. Um, but it, uh, it, simply put, if you boil it down, it, the word gospel used, it's what it's saying is whenever the word gospel is used before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it is, uh, it's just pointing ahead to the kingdom of God that's soon to be set up. And, um, then let's see here. Then it says, uh, it says after the death of Christ, the term comprises also the preaching of or concerning Jesus Christ as having suffered death on the cross. Why? To procure eternal salvation for the men. And that obviously includes women, the men and women in the kingdom of God, Um, But as restored to life and exalted to the right hand of God in heaven, thence to return in majesty to consummate the kingdom of God. And so basically it's the term then comes to refer to what Jesus did on the cross and the effect and impact it has on those who are going to put their trust in him. It says to procure eternal salvation. And so, when we talk about if somebody believes the gospel, it's going to be connected to what happened with Jesus on the cross, and his resurrection, and his ascension, and the belief in that, and the implications of that belief on each of us. I'll read out the rest of these definitions as well, just to be thorough. Um, It says, the glad tidings of salvation through Christ, and we'll talk more about that as well, salvation through Christ, uh, the proclamation of the grace of God manifest and pledged in Christ Christ the gospel, and then the last definition is, it says, as the messianic rank of Jesus was proved by his words, his deeds, and his death, the narrative of the sayings, deeds, and death of Jesus Christ came to be called the gospel, or glad tidings, and so just quickly, let me explain what that means a little bit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we refer to those as gospel accounts, the first four, uh, first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we, uh, we will refer to those as as the gospel accounts. And so those works are describing or um recording the uh life of Jesus as well as his death, burial, resurrection, and uh and, and all of that. And so we refer to those works collectively, just uh and even individually as the gospel. And so that's what that last one meant. And so all of that sounds good. And I guess I could just stop the episode here. It's like, well now you know what gospel means. But I mean let's explore this a little bit because some of those definitions are a little hard to follow and we also want to do our best to just see we want to you know inject a lot of scripture with this and so i'm going to back it up a little bit i'm going to back it up and we're going to kind of move through this a little slowly so let's talk about jesus jesus is simultaneously god and also the son of god now originally When I was planning on uh, recording this episode, uh, I had planned on right now breaking off into a discussion about the Trinity, what the Trinity is, how there's one God um, that eternally exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I was going to go through an explanation on that. And in fact, I've gotten an email before of somebody asking about the Trinity. And so I know that'd be a useful use of time, a beneficial use of time. But this is what I've decided to do. And I already alluded to the next episode earlier in this one, episode twenty five. The next episode I upload, I am planning on it just being about the Trinity. We're gonna talk about the Trinity. Um, we're gonna talk about um how the Father, Son, and Spirit are all um are all equally God and yet they're distinct, and yet there's only one God. Which again, this this can be difficult to wrap our minds around, which is part of the reason why we're going to um, devote an entire episode to it but also I'm just thinking in terms of episode titles like I want it just to be a resource there where it's like okay if somebody's like I just want to look for information about the Trinity I don't want to have to listen to it as a subcategory of a different episode I want it to be set apart as a completely standalone episode I just thought that'd be a helpful way to organize things for for you guys and it just made sense to me so I I say that Jesus is God. He's the son of God and he is God. There's only one God, but that God eternally exists in three persons. The father, son, and spirit. We'll explore that next episode. But Jesus is God, simultaneously God, and also the son of God. Um, Let me just, uh, let's see here. Let me pull up. Yeah, you know, I will go ahead and throw in this verse, which we'll come back to this one uh, next week as well. In John 1.1 one. 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And later on down there in verse 14 of John one, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And if you just read through the whole passage, you realize that, okay, the word is referring to Jesus here. Like if you, you can go ahead and read John one, one through 18. And it's explicit. Um, but we will get into all of that in the next episode. But I just use that, I put that out there right now. It's just so, okay. Jesus is God. He is God. And um and again, we'll explore that much more in depth. And so Jesus is God. Um he of course we're familiar with the uh the virgin birth. Uh in fact, let me go ahead and, you know, I, I honestly hadn't even necessarily considered talking about this aspect of it but i'll go ahead and bring it up anyways so in matthew chapter 1 excuse me it says uh, matthew 1 uh, 18 and following it says now the birth of jesus christ took place in this way when his mother mary had been betrothed to joseph before they came together she was found to be with child from the holy spirit Jesus, and so we see this is this is recounting the supernatural birth of Jesus. Mary was a virgin, and she uh, she became pregnant, but it was a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus does not obviously have an earthly father. In a sense, Joseph, you know, Mary's soon to be husband, is in in a manner of speaking, kind of like an adopted father, but God is his father. And so there, his life starts off with this supernatural. Um, conception and birth and it's directly connected to this prophecy from Isaiah here and it says behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel uh, in fact let's see here, just to give you the reference um, let me look this up real quick shall um, conceive I'm just giving you the reference for the Isaiah reference if I could spell these words just want to give you guys that. It looks like Isaiah 7:14. Yeah. Isaiah 7:14 is where that's quoting from. So we have this miraculous birth here, and I'm not going to go through all the details of the nativity and everything like that. Most of you guys are probably very familiar with that. Um, although I will say we have some misconceptions about certain details of it. And maybe I'll record an episode someday talking through those uh, just for fun. But uh, but we're from, we're familiar with this, you know. So Jesus is supernatural vir- birth through the Virgin Mary. And so then we know that uh, Jesus, uh, we we don't have too much information about his um, younger years. Um, We have this uh, interesting account where he goes, and I think this is Luke 2. Yeah, in Luke 2, where they go up to, where Jesus and his family go up to Jerusalem for the Passover uh, festival. And when they go up there, he's in the temple. You remember this. And his family leaves, and then uh, they think that he is... Um, somewhere in the group, and they go a day's journey, and then they begin to look for him among their relatives, and they can't find him anywhere, and then after three days, they found him, and where was he? He was in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions, and then it says in Luke 2 47, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers, and I'm just going to finish reading this real quick, uh, continuing in Luke 2 48, it says, and his parents... And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he had spoken to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So it's it's not my goal to do an entire uh, detailed overview of the life of Jesus in this episode, although that would be a wonderful episode just to do a general overview of what the uh, gospel accounts record. Um, I'm just trying to hit some major milestones on our way as we work our way to the cross, the death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, because that is going to be... Um, The central focus of this conversation about um what the gospel is and how we're saved and so fast forward years after this point um he is uh baptized by john the baptizer in the jordan river and the spirit descends like a dove and rests on him and uh the father speaks from heaven after this he is um uh, led by led up by the spirit uh, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil where he overcomes the temptation he overcomes the enemy he passes the test and then he returns and it's at this point that his public ministry really begins um he starts calling his disciples uh and and people start following him In matthew let's see here four twenty three through twenty four shows us uh some of what he did um during his public uh ministry here on earth it says And so he is, uh, it says that he is going, so we get a a snapshot of what a lot of his ministry looks like. It says teaching in their synagogues. And so he's teaching and we have lots of places where we see Jesus teaching a big famous place where we see Jesus teaching. Although this was not in a synagogue, um, is going to be Matthew five through seven, the sermon on the Mount, right? But we see Jesus teaching. Um, It says proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so there's our word, gospel there. And then it says also, in addition to teaching, we see healing every disease and affliction. So he's healing diseases. He's healing afflictions. And he is setting people free who are oppressed by demons. He's casting out demons. And so we see he's going around. He's healing. He's casting out demons. He's he's teaching. We see that Jesus is um, just, uh, he's, we see that he's, Full of mercy and compassion, um, we also see him get quite fiery um, with the self-righteous religious leaders of that day as well. You can see in like Matthew twenty-three and other such places some pretty intense things he said to them. But he said um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through thirty, this is what he said. He said, um, "Come to me." all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so we see Jesus is inviting people to him. We see that people are drawn to him. And the people who are drawn to him are oftentimes the very people who had been rejected by the rest of society, the outcasts. And so, um, But returning to the passage from Matthew 4 that we read a minute ago, we see, like I said, that he taught the people about God, healed their sicknesses, and delivered those who were afflicted by by demons. Um, Those who were suffering were drawn to him, and and he embraced them. In fact, uh, we get a glimpse behind the scenes as to what jesus felt towards the down and out in places like matthew nine thirty five through 36 which says this it says and jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction when he saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this is really important for me to include because I want us to, to understand um, the heart of Jesus. It says he had compassion on them, and he and he still has that same compassion today. The Bible says uh, in Hebrews uh, 13, I believe, 17? Nope, that's not 13.8. I'm sorry. So 13.8 says, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we see that he has that same compassion today. However, although Jesus is absolutely full of mercy and love and compassion and is gentle and lowly in heart, this is never at the expense of the truth. Uh, This doesn't, uh, it's not like Jesus tries to sidestep the truth or avoid saying the difficult but true things. On the contrary, he is full of mercy, compassion, and love, but he's also full of truth. And so we see, let me give you just one example of this. And we'll actually come back to this example in a little bit in this episode. But Luke 13, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. And it says, let's see, Luke thirteen one through 5 says, There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so this is just one example, and it's not an isolated incident, but we see that Jesus, he did not shy away from saying the difficult truth there. He did not uh, try to round the edges off of it. And like I said, we're going to come back to this very passage and talk about it a little bit more, but we see in Jesus that is something that is so crucial for us to understand about God, which is this, this perfect, full um, balance of love and truth, of grace and truth, neither one at the expense of the other. And we're going to see that this is actually going to be this whole grace and truth thing is going to be the entire like backbone of the crucifixion of Jesus, because that's going to be the crucifixion, you know, the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, because we're going to see perfectly the combination of grace and truth combined at the cross, but we'll come to that in a minute. So coming back, so we see what Jesus did. He would go around healing, teaching, casting out demons. He felt compassion, um, but he also was, was clear on, on the truth as well. And he traveled around like this for about three years. Um, then he was betrayed, falsely accused, and sentenced to be crucified. We are pretty familiar with the part uh, about Judas betraying him. You remember 30 pieces of silver. However, what's really important to remember is that obviously this did not catch Jesus off guard at all. Um, John ten seventeen through 18 says, for this reason, the Father, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. He says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And so, what we're going to come to see is that Jesus came in order. To die as strange as that may seem Jesus who is God came in order to die but this is something that's very very noteworthy Jesus is the only person who actually did not deserve death he didn't deserve death and we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more in a minute so we see that he is we know that he is falsely accused and crucified you can read about that in um, Matthew uh, let's see here 26 um, and 27 and just all Matthew 26 27 28 you can read about it at the end of Mark as well Uh, you can read about it in any one of the gospel accounts near the end of any one of the gospel accounts you can go and read about how Jesus was um, falsely accused and uh, sentenced to death however it's just important to realize that Jesus allowed this to happen Um, of course we remember Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and as he's praying to the Father saying Father if there's any other way then here, I'll just read it real quick. So Matthew 26, you know, of course, he's praying in Gethsemane, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, right before his um, betrayal. And he prays, it says, Matthew twenty six thirty nine says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then we see uh, down in verse 42, it says again, for a second time for the second time he went away and prayed my father if this cannot pass unless i drink it your will be done Um, he came back after this and his, his disciples were asleep and then in verse 44 it says so leaving them again he went away and prayed for the third time saying the same words again and then he comes back and the uh and then judas comes of course um with the mob with the the great crowd with the swords and the clubs and such and the, the arrest begins. And so, um, but Jesus, you know, he allowed this to happen. Um, as we already saw, he said that, you know, no one takes his life from him. He says he lays it down of his own accord and he has the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. So this is very important. But why is it that Jesus is the only one who did not deserve to die? Well, this is crucial. This is very, very important. Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. Um, Hebrews 4.15, uh, it's speaking of Jesus. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It says, yet without sin. Jesus did not sin. He never sinned. Um, 1 John three, five says, you know, that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there is no sin. And one more passage I want to look at really quickly. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about, uh, well, we'll see. Let me just read first Peter, um, two 22 through 25 really quickly talking about Jesus. Of course, let's hear, let me pull it up real quick. First Peter two, 22, um first yeah, Peter two twenty two through twenty five says he committed no sin. Okay, right there at the outset it says it out the gate. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you are straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so there's a few key things I want to take away from this passage here. One, it says that Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. Like it said, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. It says he bore our sins for us. So it says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, um, which is, of course, a reference to the cross. Then it goes on and says, That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It says, By his wounds you have been healed. And so we are healed by his wounds. Again, referring to the crucifixion. And it says, For you were all straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul, souls. So we we were straying like sheep. So we can see from this passage that Jesus Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. He bore our sins for us. We are healed by his wounds, and we were straying like sheep. And so this is, this is what... Let me explain what this means a little bit more. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that all of us have sinned. Um, Romans 3.23 famously says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But I mean... I don't need to convince you of that, probably. I mean, I don't think there's anybody out there that'd be like, yeah, you know, I've never sinned. I've never done anything wrong. And it wouldn't take long for us to disprove that. Jesus uh, summed up the entire law, the entire law in the prophets. He said, with love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so can we honestly say that throughout our lives, every single moment of every single day, we've loved the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loved our neighbor as ourselves? Well, no, of course not. Nobody could say that. I mean, no one aside from Jesus. So the Bible makes it clear all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we could never rightfully claim to have lived a perfect life. However, God is holy. Um, Isaiah 6, 3, uh, I'll read part of the verse. Uh, let, me, let me just pull up Isaiah 6, 3 real quick. Sorry. Um, Isaiah 6, 3 says, um, I'll read 6, 1 through 3. Um, that's what the word means. It, it, you, if you did a study on the word holy, you would see this. So it means set apart. And it refers to here in this context, it refers to how God is completely set apart from sin. He is hes completely perfect. He is holy. There is nothing sinful about the Lord. There is no spot on his character. There's no blemish on his nature. He's completely pure. He's set apart from all that is uh, sinful and imperfect. Um, I guess the word transcendent uh, might even kind of uh, capture this. But, uh, but what we'll see is that uh, I've heard it well said that God is both transcendent and imminent, meaning that he is high and lifted up and totally holy and set apart. And yet he's close to us at the same time. Um, and uh, it, It says actually in Psalm 145, 18, it says the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. And so the whole gospel, we see this, that yes, that the Lord, you know, reaches out to us and gives us hope. And so just another, um, another work, uh, a verse here that talks about how there's no spot or blemish anywhere on God's total person. And how, oh, and additionally, um, God is just. Before I read this verse, he's just. He's completely fair. He's righteous in all that he does. Deuteronomy two four says, The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. And so since God is holy and since he is just, he won't turn a blind eye to evil. He won't ignore sin. To do so would be to completely contradict his character. And so this presents uh, an issue for us because we've seen from Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then jumping ahead a few uh, chapters in Romans six uh, six 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so the fair payment for our sins is death. It's separation from God. It's alienation from God. It's to be apart from Him. It's the opposite of being in His presence. It is, um, it is uh, the the fair payment for our sins is hell. And so somebody might say, well, that seems really really harsh. You know, we all make mistakes, and I mean, do, am I really going to you know go to hell because I I made you know mistakes? And listen, listen, our sin separates us from Him. And a helpful analogy I've heard before is just that. Of, think of an earthly judge. So imagine you're in a courtroom and somebody comes before a judge and they've committed crimes. They've committed objective crimes. They've hurt people. Um, they've stolen, they've murdered, they've done this, that, and the other, and it's indisputable. There's no denying it. It's not like, well, maybe they did it. Maybe they did not. No, no, it's clear. They've done these horrible things. And the judge says, you know what? I'm going to let you go. Would that be a good judge or a bad judge? It'd be an awful judge because he just failed to do what he was supposed to do, which was uphold justice. And so he would be a wicked judge because he didn't do what was right. God is a perfect judge. And sin, sin is destructive. It's contrary to his character. It it destroys the good world that he created. And just it just, just it the it destroys the people that he created. It's just sin by its nature, it just destroys. And a lot of times people will say, well, you know, this sin over here doesn't hurt anybody. I can guarantee that it hurts you. I can guarantee that it does. Sin always has some sort of detrimental, destructive effect, even if you don't see it. So, but sin separates us from God. The wages of sin is death, it says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's the hope in that second verse, because however, despite our sin, God still loves us immensely and wants a relationship with us. He wants us to be close to him, not because he needs us. He does not need us. He doesn't need anything, but just because he loves us. We are his creation. So he created a way for us to have peace with him. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is why Jesus came. I'm sorry, I, 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 the quote ended after Christ died for us. But this is why Jesus came. Um, he came that we might have life and forgiveness and peace with God. When Jesus died on the cross... He died a death he did not deserve so that for those who believe in him, they might have the life that they don't deserve. And so it's sometimes called the great exchange. His righteousness is given to us for our sinfulness. So he dies our death and pays for our sin so that we get to experience his righteousness and experience peace with God. Uh 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so we see that um, Jesus' death opened up a way. And wh- how did it open up a way? Well, think about it. If God is both just and, you know, love, how do these things work together? The justice is going to demand a payment, of course, but the love wants to create a way where we can have peace with him. And so Jesus' death on the cross fulfills both of those things Jesus like we saw in Romans 5 through 6 a moment ago Jesus it says for while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly then a couple verses down it just says um, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and so we see the love of God manifested in the sacrifice of Jesus and we see the justice of God manifested in the sacrifices the sacrifice of Jesus the cross of Jesus perfectly demonstrates God's holiness and justice as well as his mercy and love. It's been well said the cross is where love, or I'm sorry, justice and mercy meet. It's where justice and mercy meet. But here's the amazing thing. Although Jesus died, and he did die, he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead. And this validated everything that he said. He foretold his own death and resurrection. Matthew 16, 21 it says, um, "From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the uh, from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day raised." And remember how he said that no one takes his life from him. Remember that um, he says that he has the authority to lay it down, and the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father," he said. And so this is so. This is. Crucially important, he foretold his own death and resurrection. This validated what he said. Because think about it, if he said that he was going to rise from the dead and he didn't, then that just, then how could you trust anything he said? But since he foretold his own death and resurrection, that validated everything he said. That's supernatural. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy uh, quote here from 1 Corinthians. It's five or six verses. Um but it really simply captures the gospel, the good news. First Corinthians fifteen three through eight says, For I delivered to you as of first importance, this is the apostle Paul speaking, I'll start over here, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures in that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? He's summarizing the gospel here. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. It says he was raised on the third day. And not only that, but hundreds of people saw him alive from the dead. Hundreds of people saw him alive from the dead. And the interesting thing is whenever Paul wrote first Corinthians, he said, um, it says here, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. The phrase fallen asleep is, um, is a, a biblical phrase sometimes used uh, in the new Testament to, um, describe someone who's died because, well, it points ahead to the future, uh, bodily resurrection. Those who die go to be with the Lord. Um, in between sort of time between now and then the resurrection. But then the resurrection, we're going to be given new bodies and that's a different topic altogether. But I, that's the logic behind the phrase "fallen asleep here. But the point is he's saying the majority, he says most, most of whom are still alive and so paul is sitting here saying listen he rose from the dead and there have been hundreds of eyewitnesses and by the way most of them are still alive it's as if he's saying go ask them go ask them this is real this is true this isn't made up there are eyewitnesses who are living today who will tell you about it that's what he's saying And this we you know the time when first corinthians was written that's crucial um and then, of course, you know, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he returned to heaven. He, was, he ascended back um, to heaven, which is, of course, where he came from, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, which is where he is now. Um, Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So he's seated at the right hand of God. And so Jesus died. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And it says that he died for our sins. This is so important. This is so important. Jesus died for our sins. There is no way to have peace with God apart from Jesus and what he did in his work. This is going back to episode uh, 19. As a Q&A on what about those who have never heard the gospel. And so that's kind of another companion to this one as well. Um, but let me say just clearly, definitively, um, as clear as I can, there is no way to have peace with God apart from Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said this. John fourteen six says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is important. And why is this? Why is it like, well, you know, why can't, why is Jesus the only way? What about all these other world religions and things like this? Listen, anything else is going to be based around what we can merit, what we can earn, what we can do to make ourselves righteous in God's sight. But the Bible is abundantly clear that we cannot do that because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And a helpful analogy that I've heard is imagine there's a glass of pure water, but then somebody puts a tiny, just a, a tiny bit of, you know, like cyanide, some really deadly poison in it just a tiny bit, and then it kind of dissolves and you can't even see it anymore. Would you drink that glass of water? Well, no, but the good water outweighs the poison. There's more quote water in there than there was of the few drops of poison you put in. Then why won't you drink it? Because the whole thing is tainted by it. It's not, that's, that's not, it's not, it's not pure water anymore. It's dangerous. It's dead it, or it cause death. And so it's the same with sin. It's the same with sin. We cannot earn our way into God's presence. We cannot it's not a matter of doing enough good to outweigh the bad. Sin demands a punishment. It's contrary to the character of God, the wages of sin is death, like we saw in Romans 6 and the first part of Romans 6:23. But here's the thing. Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." But how do we experience the forgiveness of sins? Because we've seen from multiple passages this point that it's like, yeah, he bore our sins in his body. And he paid for our sins. Paul said that um that he let's see where where was I? That he that he died for our sins. In Second in Corinthians 5.21, it says, remember, he made him, uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is this just something that happens automatically? We're all automatically saved because of what Jesus did? No, not according to the Bible. Such teaching would be called universalism, and that's just not a biblical notion. Listen to John 3.16. Um, this is one of the most famous verses, if not the most famous verse, but listen closely. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Listen to that. Who are the ones that shall not perish or that will not perish? Whoever believes in him. This is important. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. It is by putting our faith and trust in him and surrendering to his lordship over our lives. It is by belief in Jesus. And in fact, one word that one Bible, I heard a Bible scholar use this word to better kind of capture the idea. is the idea of giving our allegiance to Jesus. And I like that terminology because, you know, you'll hear about these um, people who are like, yeah, you know, when I was like five or six, and what I'm about to say, this is not negative. I'm not trying to criticize anybody. And if you will listen to the episode, I Never Knew You, episode 21, you'll see that I was in this camp myself. But you'll hear somebody say, yeah, you know, I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to come into my heart years and years ago. But then there's been no practical change in this person's life. They don't, You know, they may agree with the facts of the gospel, but it's clear that there's no allegiance to Jesus. Um, It's just, they're kind of doing their own things, doing whatever they want. There's no concern about holiness or doing the right thing or following or knowing the Lord. And so that's why I like that word allegiance that I heard somebody use. And so it's um, belief in him, trust in him, putting our faith in him. And so um, again, like I've shared before, I thought I was a Christian for six years from when I was 13 to 19, but the fruit didn't match the tree. I was claiming to be a Christian, but there was nothing in my life to show any evidence that I had been changed. There was nothing in my life that showed even an ounce of allegiance to Jesus. Yeah, I maybe intellectually agreed with the facts of the gospel, that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but there was no loyalty, there was no faith, there was no trust. Frankly, I just didn't want to go to hell, you know, but I didn't actually want to know the Lord. Again, you could go and listen to more about that in episode 21 of this podcast. Let me give you another verse that says this. John, or two verses here. John 1, 12 through 13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so who did he give the right to become children of God? It says, those who received him, in, or as, uh, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. And so just let me just clarify, everybody is God's creature. We're all, you know, created um, by God, and uh, but not everyone is a child of God. We become children of God when we're born again, when we're saved, when we, you know, uh, when we place our faith and uh, trust. And again, the word allegiance, I like that word, uh, in Jesus But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The offer to have peace with God, it is a totally free offer, but it must be accepted. And true faith in him will always lead to a changed life. When someone truly believes, they're changed, we're we're transformed. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this means that our desires change, our thinking changes, who we are changes. We cease to be who we were and we become something altogether new. Now let me be clear. This doesn't mean that there's an instantaneous no longer struggling with anything. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean that you don't have days where you feel dry or indifferent to things of the Lord. But all I'm saying is there has to be a change. If Second Corinthians 5:17 is true, which it is, then if we're in Christ, we're new creations. This is very, very important. This is so important for us to understand. And again, I, right, I, I could go off on a huge tangent about this right here, but I would just refer back to episode twenty-one. I never knew you that talks all about um, that sort of topic, how we are changed. But just just to do a very simple short recap, that just means that true belief also comes with repentance. If we truly believe. It's going to come with repentance, and to repent means to experience a change in thinking that leads to a change in living. It's to stop going one way and to turn and go another. It's to stop walking in our own way and to follow the Lord. Jesus said in, um, let's see here, Luke 9, let me, oops, let me pull it up, Luke 9, um, Luke 9, 23 says, And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, And take up his cross daily, and follow me. And I referenced Luke 13 a little while ago. Let me go there now. Um, This is a good time to talk about it. Luke 13. um, I might have just said, did I just say Luke 19? I don't know. I can't remember. I I meant Luke 13. If I did, Um, I don't know. I might have said Luke 13. But Luke 13, um, 1 through 5. I'm just going to read this really quickly and comment along the way. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So as pause, Pilate, of course, the governor of that region, the Roman governor, um, evidently he came along and it sounds like he killed some Galileans and mixed their blood with their their sacrifices, you know, like the sacrificial system. And so this is horrible sort of slaughter of these people of galilee and so but so how how does jesus respond it says in verse two and he answered them do you think that these galileans were worse sinners than all the other galileans because they suffered this way no i tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish or those 18 on whom the tower of siloam fell and killed them do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in jerusalem no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish and so he responds to the um the statement about what Pilate did, and also apparently eighteen people died because a tower fell over and killed them and Jesus says, "Do you think that these people were worse sinners? Do you think that's why they died this way?" He says, "No, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish and so If somebody's claiming to be a Christian and there's been no change of life, no repentance at all whatsoever, there's every reason to question whether or not such a person was truly born again. And again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I refer back to episode 21. Go listen to that at this point if you haven't yet, because it's very important. And so true belief comes with repentance. But listen, Jesus loves you and he loves you and me so much that he made a way for us to have peace with God. And there's no hope apart from him. And so the ball is in our court. Will we accept the gift that he offers? Romans ten nine, another famous passage says, uh, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. If you come to him, He will not send you away. He will welcome you with open arms. He said in John 6, 37, He said, All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. He will not send you away if you come to him. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so, just to recap We're all separated from God in our natural state. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. We're separated from him, but Jesus paid our price for us. He died a death. He did not deserve so that we could have a life that we did not deserve. And he's the only way to do this. I'll put a lot of these scripture references in the show notes because I'm not going to repeat them all here, but he's the only means to peace with God. And, um, we have to, believe in him place our trust in him um pledge our allegiance to him it's not a matter of earning salvation because we could never earn it but we have to believe we have to trust we have to acknowledge his lordship in our lives like jesus said unless we you know i but no i tell you but unless you repent you will all likewise perish true belief leads to repentance and a changed life So if, if you would like to begin a relationship with the Lord, um, you could pray and just ask him and just speak to him and I'll, and I'll read you a sample prayer I wrote out here. I mean, but I I hope it goes without saying that it's not the words. It's a matter of the heart behind the prayer. If your heart is sincere, then you wouldn't even have to use these words at all. And if your heart is not sincere, then these words will not do anything for you. And so it's just a matter of the sincerity of heart, but you could pray something along the lines of dear Lord Jesus. I believe that you love me. I believe that you are God, that you came to earth, that you lived a perfect sinless life, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins, that you rose again, and that you were in heaven at the right hand of God. Lord, I repent of my sins. I accept and receive the free gift of salvation and peace with God that you purchased for us by your sacrifice. I give you my life. Please come into my life and change me. Thank you for loving me, Lord. I know that you have heard me and received me, and I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. And so like it said in 1 Corinthians 5:17, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5:17, 2 Corinthians 5:17, uh that if you prayed that prayer, like if you did that with your heart, truly and sincerely, then you're a new creation. You've been changed. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And not only that and and you'll now you will be able to spend eternity with him. You won't be separated from him in hell. Um Remember, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That um, Jesus took your penalty. But remember, unless we actually surrender our lives to the Lord, unless we pledge our allegiance to him, the wrath of God still abides on us because sin must be paid for. And so the only way is to accept Jesus' sacrifice. Not only are you a new creation, but the Bible is clear that as soon as we become believers, as soon as we're born again, the Holy Spirit, who is God, also, again, we'll talk more about the Trinity in the next episode, he comes to live in us forever. And the Holy Spirit encourages us, convicts us, leads us, is the source of power to live the Christian life. We could not live the Christian life without the indwelling, empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. It is, it is the Lord taking up residence within us. And he does so much more than even these things. Let me um read a passage from Romans 8 here, talking about the Holy Spirit. And maybe we'll do an episode sometime just on the Holy Spirit. But Romans 8, 9 through 17 says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So the Bible is very clear. It says in that passage that anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, meaning that if you truly just put your trust in Jesus, you do have the spirit of Christ living inside of you. And you see just from that passage, he gives us the power to say no to sin. It says we're not debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh, right? Then it says a little bit further down, it says... um, it says, or next verse, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, power to live victorious life. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So the Lord will lead us and guide us. It says that He's the Spirit of adoption, and so we. He it says, um, uh, but you have received the Spirit of adoption by whom. As sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so we see that we just desperately need the Holy Spirit. And if you just sincerely prayed that prayer, if you were sincerely born again, then he lives in you now. And he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will help you. Jesus refers to him as the helper in John 14. So if you are a new believer, then I want to congratulate you and say it's the best decision you've ever made in your life. And there's some immediate next steps that I want to encourage you to do because we, we, we got to get connected. I mean, we have to, uh, we can't do this alone. So first I would encourage you to begin to pray. Simply talk to the Lord, um, talk to him about all that's going on in your life and what is on your heart. Ask him to speak to you as well. First Peter, uh, five, six through seven says, um, humble yourselves. Under I'm um, sorry, let us start over, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The Lord cares about you and wants you to come to him in prayer with everything that is on your heart. And so start by praying. Begin to pray. And then I'd encourage you to start reading the Bible. Um you know, there. uh, as far as where I'd recommend you begin reading, I actually believe I recorded a podcast on this a while back. Let me look up the actual, uh, episode number, uh, so I can reference that. I see here. Um, yeah. Episode number nine, where should I start reading the Bible? So I'd encourage you to listen to that episode. Um, but simply put, just start reading in Luke. Um, Luke is one of the four gospel accounts and you just want to do anything you can to learn more about Jesus right now. And so, just do everything you can to learn more about Jesus, and be sure to ask the Lord to help you to understand as you read. Um, Psalm one nineteen eighteen says something that is a really good prayer to pray whenever we come to the Bible. It says, "Open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of your law." Next, um, so begin to pray, read the Bible, join a church. We cannot do this alone. We need people coming alongside of us to help us. We need people to encourage us, to challenge us, to help bear our burdens. And, um, especially like I would, like we, we cannot do it on our own. Hebrews ten twenty four 24 through 25 says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so you may already know of a good church, um, but just begin to pray that the Lord would lead you to a church. And I would encourage you, don't just stay at the first one you go to. Ask God to show you which one you should be at and believe that he will. I can't say exactly how he'll do it, but I believe confidently that he will hear and answer that prayer and make it clear which church you should be at. And after this, the next step that I would recommend would be for you to get baptized. And be to get baptized. And this is something that you could talk to the leadership about the church that you joined about. I'm sure the leadership will be able to answer your questions and point you to... Plenty of places in uh, Scripture that talk about the importance of baptism. But every single um, Jesus follower should be baptized. Uh, We see this from multiple places. Um, uh, Matthew 28. uh, We'll go there real quick. Let me just read this. The Great Commission. Jesus said... Uh, well, it says starting in verse eighteen, and Jesus. This is Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through twenty. And Jesus came and said to them, "All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit." teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so here being baptized is connected to being a disciple. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if you're a Jesus follower, if I'm a Jesus follower, then we need to be baptized. Uh, Let's see here. Acts chapter two, just one more quick verse. Acts chapter 2 is the day that the Holy Spirit came, and uh, this was uh, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and then um, the the Holy Spirit came and, and filled the disciples of Jesus, and then Peter preaches... Uh, a sermon in Acts chapter two, and at the end of this in Acts chapter two, verse 40, forty-one, it says, "So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about three thousand souls." And so, who was baptized? Those who received his word. And so, again, if you've come to you know place your faith and trust in the Lord, then I would encourage you to be baptized. And as far as you know what baptism even means or symbolizes, I have recorded an episode. Um, that touched on this, and let me look up the actual episode number here. It might have been episode fourteen. let me see. Yeah, episode fourteen um, our funeral leads to our freedom. It's about Romans chapter six. in that episode, I talk uh some about what baptism symbolizes, what it signifies, um what it um, the spiritual reality to which it points. So, uh, I would encourage those to be your next steps. And so I hope this has been encouraging to you. I I can just tell you guys, uh, I've been a believer about 12 years at this point and I'm a completely different person than I was beforehand. The Lord changed me. Like I I'm just completely different person. And there are some changes that were instantaneous. There's some that have taken, uh, years and years to change and still plenty of changes that are still happening. But the entire direction of my life changed, and um, and I'm so thankful. And I know that any of you who take this step as well will be thankful also. And those of you who are born again, you could say the exact same thing that I just said. And um, so I hope this has been encouraging to you. If you're already a believer, then I hope that this episode can be a resource to you that you can share with people maybe if somebody's asking questions about the gospel or just wants to have... A general resource uh, about what the gospel is and how to be saved. And so I hope that this has been very, very encouraging. Just to recap, like I said, this is meant to be taken in conjunction with episode 21 of this podcast. And uh, the next episode, episode 25 will be an important companion to this one as well. So as always, I hope y'all are doing well. God bless you.